The scripture reading for this morning is taken from 1 Samuel 23, verses 14 to 29. And you'll be able to find that on page 339 of your pew Bible. Now today we're continuing working our way through the life of Jonathan. And up to this point in time, Jonathan uh, had said his farewells to David. He had given David warning and David had fled out into the countryside. He's been pursued. He tried to take refuge in the court of a foreign king. This is something that people did more often back in the day, but he was not able to do that safely, and so he fled once again back into the land of Israel, and he's been pursued by Saul at this point in time. Now we come to verse 14 of chapter 23, and we read about one, another place where he temporarily stayed. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hachilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who, he has, and who has seen him there. For I'm told he's very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all of the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take him. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded our, the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then 
David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. So far, the text for this morning is verse 16. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what do you, your relationships look like? In particular, what do your friendships look like? Are they just a surface level relationship? Men, do you just talk about your work or dirt bikes, snowmobiles, construction projects, or whatever else you're currently occupying yourself with? Women, do you talk about your families, your husbands, or your personal projects and hobbies? What do your friendships look like? There's a story of Abraham Lincoln who, as the clouds of civil war drew near, increasingly looked for the friendship of one particular clergyman. On nights when he was especially distressed about the thought of Americans fighting against each other, brother against brother, father against son in some cases, in some states, he would send for his friend, Dr. Gurley. One man records, Dr. Gurley was to tell how the two of them would walk up and down the south portico of the White House, up and down all through the night, talking, praying until dawn flushed pink in the eastern sky. In the end, according to Dr. Gurley, who knew Lincoln so well, Lincoln found no way except the root of faith in God. After being near him steadily and with him often for more than four years, Dr. Gurley said, I can affirm that God's guidance and mercy were the props on which he humbly and habitually leaned, that they were the best hope he had for himself and for his country. He recognized and received the truth that God is the governor among the nations and that our only hope, in the present's own words, was to humble ourselves, confess our national sins, and pray for clemency and forgiveness. It was the friendship of a faithful man that gave Abraham Lincoln the courage to continue to stand, even as his country felt like it was being torn apart around him. And it was not even the friendship of the man himself especially, but it was specifically where that friendship pointed him. It's not that every conversation that we have with our friends turns into a Bible study. But the question is, in our friendships, especially with fellow believers, do we ever reach the point in which we actually, genuinely talk about our faith? Do we help each other to grow in spiritual maturity? Where do the friendships that we have and the friendships that we actively build point us to. Today we'll reflect on this as we continue to follow the life of Jonathan under the theme, to strengthen a brother in distress. And we'll see first of all, Jonathan comes to the Lord's anointed, and second, Jonathan strengthens David's hand in the Lord. 
Now at this point in David's life, as we come to our passage, he's been anointed the next king of Israel. But the current king of Israel takes exception to that. King Saul knew that the Lord had chosen David. It's become very clear to him now. And Jonathan himself recognizes this as well. He can see that his father knows this to be the truth. But because of this, King Saul has decided that he will do everything in his power to thwart the plan of the Lord. Time and time again he failed until finally David went out on the run. Even being on the run, however, David was not safe. Out of sight did not mean out of mind. We read that Saul sought him every day. Now up to this point, there have been two different reactions to David's ascension to the position of anointed king. And this has been key throughout the book of Samuel. Ever since the people wanted a king so that they could become like the nations around them, wanting a king without good motives, there has been this tension between a right kingship, a godly kingship, and an earthly kingship. It's a theme that's central to the book of Samuel, and we can see that playing out in our passage today. In the first place, there are those who have rejected him. They are too frightened, or they hate him, they despise him too much. But in the second place, there are those who have gathered around him, including Abiathar the priest with an ephod. And with an ephod, David is now able to seek the guidance of the Lord. Yet, even with this small force around him, this is nothing compared to the forces that Saul can call up at a moment's notice. In verse 13 of our passage, we read that David's little troop has grown to about 600 men. But Saul is able in chapter 24 to call up 3,000 What can David do against such single-minded hates? This was a terribly difficult time for David. And it would have made him incredibly lonely as well. He's been driven out of his home. He faces the shame of being on the run. In this particular case, it's not even a shame that he brought on himself, yet he feels the effects of it. We can read elsewhere in the book of, uh, first book of Samuel here how he runs into Nabal, for example, who scorns and despises him for being somebody who is on the run from his master. He also feels how his own actions have hurt others, even though he had not meant them to do so. In chapter 22 of this book, it's because of him that the whole priestly city of Nob is murdered. He had hidden the fact that he was on the run from them. He had come to them and he had asked for help and they had given him food, they had given him a sword, but he had hidden the fact that he was on the run from them. But even so, that wasn't enough for Saul. He murdered them all, men, women, and children. And David had to live with that. It wasn't his fault. He had done everything he could to keep them safe. And even so, it wasn't enough. 
they were still killed. And they were killed because David had stopped in there asking for help, asking for aid. Now it's in light of this, by the way, the destruction of the priestly city of Nob, but you can almost understand the reaction of the people here in the wilderness of Ziph, can't you? Whatever their loyalty may be to Saul, the thought of what might happen if they were to actively shelter David is even more terrifying. Remembering what happened to people who gave David support without even knowing any better. And yet it's disappointing to David He came to his own people as their anointed king, anointed by God, and yet his own did not receive him. Instead, he's he's living among a people who are willing to turn him over to the enemy for death. Whatever their reasons might be, even if it's for protection of themselves and their own families, it's still his own life that's on the line. And this is heavy. It really is a heavy burden to bear. But God knows this. God has been there. He has watched David throughout all of his struggles. He has been there walking alongside David as he went through the countryside, fleeing from his enemies. God has been there when David wept with Jonathan at the thought that they might have to say goodbye at the, situation of, at the situation to which Saul has brought them. God was with David. And God is still with David. He sees this heavy burden that David bears. And so he sends David relief. Now even though David faced Saul's envy bitterness and his attempts to destroy him, Jonathan, who was Saul's son and who otherwise would be heir to the throne, Jonathan remained his steadfast friend. And here in our passage today, we see Jonathan coming to support David. But it's not just because David is Jonathan's friend that Jonathan comes to his aid. It's certainly a big factor. But it's also because he is God's anointed choice for king. And he comes to remind him of this fact. Ultimately, it's God himself who is in control here. And it's God himself who has guided Jonathan to David. And it's God himself who will continue to guide David. We can see two things that come out to the fore here. David's recognition, God's recognition of of David's needs and his care for David's needs, specifically his need for emotional care and support at this time. And second, his use of Jonathan in David's life as an instrument in his hand to care for and to shape his servant's life as the future king of Israel. We can see here David receiving the very same love and care from God that he grants his very own son later on in history. Consider Jesus Christ, who was rejected by men, so full of sorrow and stress in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death, that he is sweating drops like blood. There we find in Luke 22, verse 43, that his heavenly Father sends an angel to strengthen him. 
here too we can see that the very same love with which God loved his own son, he also loves David. Here too, our Father in heaven sends a messenger and a comforter to one of his children in distress. But in this case, it's a friend and a brother in the Lord. Beloved, when you come to someone who is in need, whether it's dropping by for a visit or speaking a comforting word, bringing a meal, giving a hug, or simply checking in, you are that instrument of God's love for that brother and sister. When someone opens their hearts to you and you learn of their need and you encourage them, you are one who is sent by the Lord. And you, just like Jonathan here today, have the blessed opportunity to strengthen their hand in God. Now you may not be strengthening him or her as the Lord's anointed king, but that doesn't make it any less a gift from above. And that doesn't give you any less of an opportunity here. Because you are recognizing a different bond that you have with this brother or sister. You're recognizing a bond that you have in the Lord as fellow covenant children of our covenant God. And this brings us to our second point. Jonathan strengthens David's hand in the Lord. You'll notice that the very first thing that Jonathan does is direct David's heart and mind to the promise of the Lord. This isn't just any encouragement that he's giving to David. He's pointing him to what God has promised, even when it means less for himself. You shall be king over Israel, he says, and I shall be next to you. And this isn't him recognizing David on an equal footing or something. He isn't giving a picture of himself and David sitting side by side on thrones over Israel. He will be next Next in power, he'll be secondary. He is subservient to David. He'll be next in the sense of David's servant. And he's okay with that. Jonathan is okay with playing a secondary role because that is God's will. In the eyes of the world, Jonathan is the loser here. But in the eyes of the Lord, he is a great man. Because to lose everything for the Lord is to gain everything in the Lord. For us today, this is true as well. To lose everything for Christ is to gain everything in Christ. Being in Christ makes sacrifice of earthly wealth and splendor possible because we have a much higher treasure. We have a much higher joy. Jonathan could have remained on the sidelines. Yes, he didn't work against David, but everyone would have understood. You know those situations, right? Everyone would understand if Jonathan couldn't rise to the occasion to help this brother in the Lord. He could have stayed on the sidelines and see how things unfold. And you know what? Maybe his brother here might have fallen. 
Maybe he himself would rise to the kingship. He didn't actually have to actively pursue enmity against David in order for this to come to pass. It could even happen if he stood back and did nothing. And yet he deliberately goes to support David. His priority isn't himself. His priority is something else. It's directing David's eyes towards God. Now I'd like you to understand something here. The central theme of this passage is not friendship. It's not even mutual friendship. But it's the work of the Lord. It's that God sends David a friend at a horrible hour to encourage him to look to God in his hour of need. To remember the promises of God. This is all God's mercy and God's grace in shaping David as a man after his own heart. Using the reminder of what God had said, you will be king over Israel. Using the reminder of God's promise to David to do so. Jonathan comes to David and tells him, trust in the Lord. Things seem overwhelming right now. Things seem like they're out of control. But trust in the Lord. He made you a promise. Trust in him. And David does grow from this. Later in 1 Samuel 30, David again finds himself in distress. But this time Jonathan is not able to come to him. No one was there to encourage him. But what do we find him doing in verse 6 of chapter 30? We read there that David strengthened himself in the Lord. What Jonathan had come to teach David at a great personal cost to himself became what David turned to in his hour of need. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. God can use us in this way in people's lives, beloved. We know that Jonathan was older than David, possibly even two decades, and as a more mature figure spiritually, his equipping and reminding David led the way for David as well to grow in spiritual maturity and be directed to his covenant God. This is what he, as a godly friend, does. And it was God who made this possible. It was God who directed him. Now we ourselves can think of this in relation to the relationships that we have with those who are around us as well. We see how Jonathan at great personal cost came to David in his hour of need. And how he reminded him of the promises of God. Beloved, you and I today have been given much greater promises As Christians, as those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the promise that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That Jesus Christ is reigning in heaven, that he is overseeing his people, that he is guiding, that he is directing the course of history. And while we might not in the, in the moment understand what's going on around us, that God himself is still the one who is in control. 
And that he watches over his children. That he directs the path of his children. We might bear the weight of sorrow. We might bear the weight of things that we have done. And the consequences that they've had. Even though we don't, didn't mean for it to unfold that way. And it's in these hours that it's so powerful when a brother or a sister comes alongside and reminds us of the promises of God. Reminds us of where our identity lies. Reminds us that we belong to Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ is in control. This should be true for all of our relationships. It should be true for our relationships as fellow congregation members. It should especially be true in our relationships together as husband and wife, as parents and children, grandparents and grandchildren. But today, in light of how God unfolds this in our passage, I want you to reflect once again, brothers and sisters, where do your friendships point you? How do you build your friendships and your relationships with those around you? Beloved, there are many Jonathans in this congregation. There are many Davids in this congregation. And as we seek out godly friendships, we strive to find the reason for these friendships, to encourage each other to direct our eyes to God, even when times arise when we will not be able to be there for each other. to help each other grow in faith and spiritual maturity and teach each other each day to lean on the Lord. To help each other build a shelter in preparation for a rainy day, you might say. A day when we ourselves won't necessarily be able to be there for each other. But the structure that was built in faith will stand in the storm of trials. Not because we are strong, Not because our friendship is so strong, but because we have a God who provides for us in his mercy and grace, and we are reminding each other of that. The God who grants us forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ, his Son, and who can understand our every sorrow and still wash us clean and hold us fast. For this we can look to our Lord Jesus Christ, described in Hebrews 4, verse 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let that be our focus in our friendships together as we build each other up. Not only in ever simply being about surface matters, but let us go 
into them with the goal of leaving something behind that will, by the grace of God, have a foundation that lasts for eternity. That every life we touch, with the goal that every life that we touch could have a foundation that lasts for eternity. In our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.